You're listening to the IMT Show with Mike Sims. Now here is your host. And um, Bob's your uncle, you know, so I've been inducted a few Hall of Fames and and, and I love boxing. And, and then I when, when I had retired and I was in the movie business, I to give back to it, I found a kid because I used to go to the gym and train all the time. I found a kid named Frankie Lyles who was a super middleweight. He was super middleweight fighter, and he was a southpaw. And he was in Detroit, and they threw him out of Detroit because he was a boring fighter, but he was right. undefeated. And he came out to the Goosens in L.A. and you know, I watched him training, and I said. Uh, and I had a chat with him. I said, you know, kid, if you do everything I tell you to do, I will make you super middleweight champion of the world. And I moved him into my house uh, on my own drive. And I put him through a regime. I got him in the best shape he was ever in in his life. And, and I started there a corner. I put Freddie Roach, who's now a renowned trainer. That's where he got his start at with, uh, with Frankie and I. Hmm. And, um, and Frankie won, won the, within six months, he won the super middleweight championship of the world wow. and defended it for a few years. And he was, uh, he, was a, he was a very good fighter. So I gave back to boxing and, you know, Freddie said, you got to stay with me. We'll, we'll do this and do that. And Freddie went on to do, you know, he, he did Pacquiao and several other people, champions. So God bless him. What a uh, legacy. What yeah, a legacy. So I, then I went into and I stayed in the movie business and I, and I moved to Europe to get away from the other stuff because out of sight, out of mind. And they were putting everybody in jail back in the, in the eighties. And uh, I uh, wound up marrying a, a lovely woman in, in England. She was English. Uh, uh, she lived in Ireland and, and uh, we had a great ranch farm over there with 193 acres and it was an old Georgian house it was terrific. Wow. And um, it was, but for me, I was out of the, I was out of the sight of Boston and Philly and New York. And uh, like I said, a lot of my friends were being bang banged up and put away. And um, is that why the, uh, is that why the, the federal people were concerned about your book was because of what it, uh, what it talked about in organized crime or was it the JFK thing? Is it? Well, they, they, I was telling the truth. I told the truth about the JFK thing and I, I was telling the truth about a lot of stuff. And, and I said, it was time. I said, you know, you people, I mean, it's like they, they did the movie, the Irishman. Right. It was just out. And it's total fabrication in Hollywood because I knew Frank Phelan very well and he never killed Hoffa and he never killed Joey Gallo. You know, and I knew Joey Gallo well and I knew Frank well and I knew Hoffa well. I knew Hoffa very well. Hmm. And uh, they're never going to find Hoffa. That's, you know, all the forest about where he's buried and all this other jazz. And right. Jimmy was a, Jimmy was an unusual man. He was a, he was a man's man. Jimmy Hoffa would never ask you to do something he couldn't do himself. And that's what I liked hmm. about him. Hmm. You know? And we, we did a few things together when, when he was running around. And uh, so I got to know him pretty good. And, uh, you know, he, he, Jimmy's, Jimmy was his own worst enemy. When he went to jail, he had backed the wrong president and he controlled a lot of votes with the Teamsters. Right. And um, he thought he was going to jail for a couple months and he wound up going to jail for a few, for a few years. And uh, wow. they made a deal when he came out, he signed the deal that uh, he would, uh, 
not he wasn't supposed to go in near the union for for several years or something like that and he had to stay away from the business of it altogether and all this other jazz and um and of course it's the day he was home he walked right in the into uh what you call its office and said you know get out of my chair right uh, this is my union i'm taking it back and new york called him on the phone and they said jimmy uh bad idea you just gotta sit and wait we'll we'll fix everything don't worry about it and he said i don't want to hear that this is my union i want it back i want it back now he was frustrated from being away for a few years and right. saw things that he didn't really like that were happening they were lending money out that they shouldn't have been lending out and and then they got into a conversation about uh, that in particular. They said, you know, when you people came to me for something, uh, we uh, and there was there was no pension fund until Hoffa. Hoffa made the pension fund. Right. And the, the ironic thing is what they put him away for was such, what a setup. They said that he gave, took $8,000 from the pension fund to fix his house. Well, let me tell you something. If Jimmy Hoffa wanted to renovate his house, you would have had carpenters, plumbers lined up right. to do it for nothing. Right. That's how much they loved him. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Doesn't make any sense. He didn't have to take $8,000 from the pension fund to get his house fixed. So that was pure setup. And, uh, you know, and, and I, I mean, I don't know if you remember the day he went away, they, the trucks lined up all the way up to Lewisburg, honking their horns as he drove by in hmm. salute to him, you know? And he uh, he was he was such a loved guy, boy. So we got in this yeah. argument on the phone and he, and, and he said, you know, when you guys wanted to do 25 million for, for Caesar's Palace, we gave it to you. But they paid every dime back when he was there. There was never a loan that was given that wasn't paid back. Right. And uh, And they said, Jimmy, you're on the phone. Just let it be. And he kept saying, I don't care. I want my unit. Jimmy, you're on the phone. Let it be. And he got to a point where he got so angry, he turned around and he said, I don't care. I'll go to the newspapers. And the guy hung the phone up. Wow. And that was the end of Jimmy Hopper. Wow. I, but that was know, a bad idea. Well, that that's, you know, there, there, there's so much that um, that people... Just, oh, no. you know, have no idea about no that. yeah the media the media hides everything i mean it's just same as kennedy's assassination there's a, there's a true factor of what really happened and um and how it was orchestrated who orchestrated it yeah and, uh, there's a million theories out there and everybody's guessing and trying to figure it out and yeah, i'll tell you how simple it is the if you were going to look to blame one person for jack's death it would be his father jack the father of uh, Joe Kennedy. Joe Kennedy made everyone, stabbed everybody in the back yeah. his whole career and made a lot of enemies in Chicago. And, and he, he, he lied about a lot of things. And, um, and, and, you know, when Jack was, and Jack was actually, he wasn't going to live his term out. He was dying. He had, they shot him up every day for Addison's disease. He had, Addison's disease, he had syphilis, he had a couple of diseases that were that were actually killing him. Yeah. And uh, he wouldn't have lived out his time. And he was the nicest guy. God, I like Jack Kennedy. He really was a great politician. He was a and he was and he had heart soul for the country. He really, really did. But his father was always whispering in his ear and right. uh, and did some things that were 
uh, very naughty. I mean, uh, first of all, Bobby was 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 a thorn in everybody's side in organized crime because he was always putting committees together to try to lock up this guy. When when Jack became president, people who helped him, Sam G and Con, wasn't for Chicago and a few other people. Kennedy would have never been elected president. That's what but I these hear. Guys, in fact, they would have never got nominated. Right. And when they when they, when they were running when the nominations were held in L.A. and he was running for nomination, Joe Kennedy called uh, Chicago and asked for help because they were afraid that they couldn't muster enough electoral votes to get him nominated. And he, you know, Gene Connor said, well, I thought you had all that taken care of. And he said, well, I think we're going to be a little bit short or something. So all of a sudden, Illinois and two states surrounding Illinois, who never voted Democrat before, all of a sudden turned Democrat. Hmm. And uh, then they they were still, the third day, Joe Kennedy called him and said, you know, we're, we're just a little bit short still. So they, there was one little state that's a little state, but it has a tremendous amount of electoral votes because of the coal mines and stuff, West Virginia. Yeah. And uh, Sam made a couple phone calls to the Cellini family and some other people and uh, the casinos that they were, they had casinos in West Virginia and they just called up some people and they excused some debt. And uh, all of a sudden West Virginia waves their hand and Jack Kennedy was nominated flying colors. Wow. And as soon as he was put into the president, then when he was running for presidency, I mean, you talk about what happened with just with Trump with this voting stuff and all. Well, when Jack was running with Nixon, it was neck and neck. Yeah, on the on the on the on the voting deal, right? And in Cicero and and a couple other counties in Illinois, uh, there were people that voted twenty times who were dead, <laughs> and they voted twenty times. I mean, so he got over the margin, and they you know he, he won the presidency. And uh, but when as soon as he became president, then his father turned on some people and he made Bobby attorney general. Right. And he told Bobby, he said, put all my good friends in jail. And wow. he went after everybody. And, uh, and then he would, then there was the people who, the oil people down, down in Texas, um, H.L. Hunt and the boys. Right. Uh, Murchison and all of them. They, they had what they called surplus oil that they didn't pay a tax on and they were making a lot of money. So he whispered in Jack's ear and he said, you know, you got to go down there and levy a tax on this surplus oil. These guys are getting away with murder. Hmm. And so he did that, not thinking, you know, he just listened to his father and, and that cost those people like a couple hundred million dollars a year. Yeah. So I think that would agitate you a little bit. Oh yeah. And, and he did things like that. You know, he was just, he backstabbed everybody and the, he was going to yeah. he was going to break the CIA up, right? Um, well, well, yeah. What he did was he because the CIA was very powerful in that time, you know. And and Joe Kennedy, you got to understand where Joe Kennedy came from. He, he was he was a very very bright guy, and he was a tremendously bright banker. And his father in law was a gangster. He was a gangster from Ireland. He came to Boston. And he dredged the harbor out. He put the first bank there. He was involved in the first bank lending money to the United States for building the country, uh, the Bank of Austin. 
and uh, Joe Kennedy became president of the, one of the branches of that bank at the youngest age of anybody ever in the history of the country. Right. And, and then he was involved in the, when prohibition came, they, they had a warehouse up in Canada that he and the guy from Newark, New Jersey, who owned Fleischmann's Liquor, put together a deal up in there. And his father-in-law controlled all the Scotch liquor coming into the country, into Boston. It came into Boston in his harbor. And they were taking it up into Canada and they were running bootlegging down into, so Joe Kennedy and this other guy were making a lot of money bootlegging. And there was a load of booze that was coming down that belonged to the Purple Gang. And right. Joe Kennedy had the balls to, to hijack it. And uh, they said, you know, son, you're a dead man. And he ran home to his father-in-law and his father-in-law said, I, I can't help you against those guys. They were, I don't know if you ever knew who the Purple Gang was, but they were, you should look them up. They were an interesting crew. They were right. a bunch of Jewish homosexuals and, and they were nobody to play with. And he uh, he ran to Chicago, and he his father-in-law sent him out to Chicago to meet the, one of the first dons out there, Joe Esposito. And he sat down with him, and he said, "You know, kid, you're a great earner. You go home to Boston, and I'll take care of uh, the Purple Gang, but you belong to us now." And he was under thumb to Chicago, hmm. and the only money Joe Kennedy ever put into a building in America was the Mercantile Building in downtown Chicago. They made him build that. Hmm. He was he was the the Hamilton Club had a grip on him. Hamilton Club was uh, was a political club out in Illinois uh, that that the president and everybody used to hang out in. Right. And they 1926 they grabbed a hold of him and and they sat him down and they said you know uh, we, there's something we want you to do because Europe was pressing America for money return because they're the ones that financed our country they. Only a million dollars came from America for the first bank. The other nine came from Europe, from the, the Geneva, hmm. you know, people in Geneva through London. Right. And uh, they were, and they supported America funding it in different areas. And, and they, was, they were screaming that they weren't getting their money back and that America was taking jobs away from Europe and hurting their income earning power because after World War I, we became a war-bearing country. Right. And we started manufacturing war goods, which meant we were taking jobs from Europe and bringing these guys into America to run these factories and stuff. And there was a lot of squawking. So they said to Joe, we would like to, to do this. And the first thing he tried to show them that he was capable of, mani of manipulating the stock market was he stole $5 million from Pathé Newsreel in broad daylight. And nobody ever caught him. Hmm. And they said, you know, that's exactly, uh, you're right on track. So they set up a deal. They, they were going to do a major short sell that, that affected all these companies over in Europe. And one of the companies was owned by Black Jack Bovier, who was Jackie Kennedy's father, huh. and his uncle, which was a Rothschild company. Right. And they were not happy people. And... Uh, what they did was, what they did was they um, they turned around and uh, uh, the short they they did the short sell for a week and then they were going to take a couple days off, and they never meant for the depression to happen. Right. They just were making a lot of money on the short sell, 
And when they took a few days off, people got panicked because the market was going crazy up and down, up and down. And when they brought came back in to finish it, the people ran on the banks and it caused the depression. Right. And uh, when the depression settled down, Roosevelt went to Kennedy and he said, you know, kid, you did a great job for us. Now we got another job for you to do. We're going to have to revamp the SEC and you're going to write all the new rules for it. And you're going to be head of the SEC because they knew that Europe had to reinvest back in the country to get their money back. Right. So they put a new set of rules in that he did. And he did a great job for them in 1935. And they turned around and said, you know, did a fantastic job. So here's what we want. You're now going to go to England and be the ambassador to England. And he said, wow, okay. So he went and uh, he, um, as soon as he got to England, but they also said to him, there's some people over there we want you to contact because we want to tie some things together. So the first guy he sat down with was a Shah of Iran, who was a gangster, and they put a bank together and they were lending money to Hitler. And yep. Hitler was came back to the same group and they had a Khashoggi and he was buying weapons from him. And America wasn't in the war yet. So Kennedy think, what am I, I ain't doing nothing wrong, but he's in England as an ambassador from America. And the English government grabbed him and said, you know, you are aiding and abetting our enemy. You can't do that on our on your watch here. And they threw him out of England. And nobody really knew why he was thrown out because when he came home, there was no television then. Right. And the newspapers were owned by the Gore family in Indiana. And the guy out in California, uh, what's his name? Uh, he controlled all the West Coast papers. Right. And um, nobody wrote anything or said anything. And the, and the radio stations were controlled by Murchison from Texas. So he, uh, you know, nobody, th- there was no big fuss made about it. He just came home as, as Ambassador Joe Kennedy. And he had made a fortune with the short sell and he owned a lot of land up and down the East Coast and everything. And uh, he went on life as Ambassador Kennedy, you know, but he made a lot of enemies. He had a lot of people very, very angry at him. Oh yeah. And, and he, so he backstabbed everybody. And at the end of the day, you know, and then you had the president, it took them, they rerouted that whole route to go down Thiele Plaza. Right. And here you have the president of the United States in an open car with a lot of animosity going on. Right. And Bobby Kennedy, who was his brother's second skin, everywhere he went, was visited by Adolf Adlai Stevenson, who had just came back from Houston, where they spat on him. And he told Bobby, he said, you know, you cannot let Jack go to Texas because the animosity is atrocious down there. There's something will happen. And Bobby didn't go. Four people went to see him beside three other people beside Adley Stevens. Bobby didn't go before. He wasn't there during and he never went afterwards because he knew Jack wasn't coming home. And Jack Kennedy's in an open car and they have a book depository with all the windows open and people walking around right. with the president down below you, you know, uh, and Oswald was a patsy. Right. Oswald was, a, was a total patsy, you know, and they, uh, and Zabruder, Zabruder took footage called the Zabruder film 
that Zabruder never held a camera in his life before. Zabruder and Murchison, Murchis, Murchison, the name, right? no, more, 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 more something like that, were partners that they were Russian, uh, white Russians that come into New York and uh, Meyer Lansky gave them a half quarter of a million dollars and sent them to Houston to set up a garment district down in Houston. Right. And uh, they, uh, the, the one guy, the Bruder's partner, was the one who educated. Uh, Thank you for listening to the IMT show with Mike Sims. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The IMT show is an opinion show and not to be taken as serious personal, legal, tax or financial advice. It is meant as entertainment only. IMT show, Mazarov for Mike Sims is not responsible for ad content. For more information on show schedules and content visit www.mazarov.net slash IMT.